Amen. Okay, so today we're going to continue with our Bible study from last week where we were talking about endurance and encouragement. Amen. So did you build your endurance this week? <laughs> I... uh I I did my best. <laughs> I did my best, but I I did better in the spirit than I did in the natural. So we'll just say that there. So let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for blessing us today. Thank you for meeting us again, that you always meet us when we gather together in your name. And we thank you that we're never apart from you, but you make yourself known to us in a different way when we're gathered together. And we just acknowledge your presence. We thank you for your goodness. And we're asking you, Holy Spirit, that you teach us your word. Teach us, um, bring us bread from heaven. Feed us till we hunger no more. We thank you for that, Lord God. Thank you for giving us keys that we need this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Pardon me. We're going to start with the, the the verse that we began with last week um, from Romans chapter 15 and starting um, in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instructions, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Amen. So God is a God of both endurance and encouragement. In this passage, Paul says that through the encouragement of the scriptures, we have hope. Hope is essential for our lives, and hope allows us to be able to endure, keep hope alive. (laughs) It's an anchor for our soul, and so when everything around us looks chaotic, hope holds us down, holds us together, and it stabilizes us, it strengthens us, and so we are able to receive hope through encouragement. So we're going to talk about encouragement today. Last week, we talked a lot about endurance. And how God is the God of endurance, which means that he he remains, he abides, he does not recede or flee away from us. He tarries behind with us. He does not lose heart with us. He doesn't give up on us. He's never disappointed with us. He is patient in bearing with our weakness. He is long-suffering and slow to anger. That is our God, the God of endurance. And we, when we remember his patience and his steadfast love for us, our own endurance increases. Because remember, we said that endurance can increase. Because we know that he's standing with us, we are strengthened. And we know he'll never leave us or forsake us, and we're able to endure by his strength. Amen. So endurance and encouragement go hand in hand. Um, they work together as a team. So whenever God calls us to endure, he brings us encouragement that lets us endure. So encouragement, again, is exhortation, admonition. It's a persuasive discourse like a, like the coach. It's also consolation, comfort, and um, that which gives us refreshment. So when um, 
when Jesus promised the comforter of the Holy Spirit, it was actually the same word, the paraclete, to come alongside and refresh us. The Holy Spirit is our encourager every day. And so encouragement imparts the courage that the weary needs to be able to continue and to go on. And so Paul called God our Father, the God of encouragement. So we're going to look at some places where God brought encouragement to the patriarchs to encourage them in their in what he had called them to do. So we'll start with Joshua. In Joshua chapter 1, um, and this is at the, you know, Joshua had served for 40 years, you know, with Moses through the wilderness. Following through the wilderness with the children of Israel, he saw miracles. He also saw the tragedy of unbelief. He saw how the children of Israel retaliated against Moses at times. And now Moses was dead. Joshua was was in charge. You know, God was calling him to take take the lead. Um, So we're going to talk about this is the discord that um, God had with Joshua. Starting in verse 1, he says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, it came to pass that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, therefore, arise and go over this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving them, the children of Israel. Every place that the sole of your feet will tread upon, I have given to you, as I said to Moses. <clears throat> Pardon me. From the wilderness of this Lebanon, as far as the great river, and the river Euphrates, and the land of the Hittites, and the great sea toward going down of the sun shall be your territory. So he maps out the land, and he said, no man will be able to stand you stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for this people sh- For to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, that you may observe according to do all that the law, uh, all the law which Moses my servant commanded you, and do not turn to the right or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you be strong and of good courage? (laughs) Here we go. Do not be afraid nor dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So can you imagine being in Joshua's shoes right there? You know, God is in, in, in exhorting Joshua like a coach. He said, now, I told you this. You got this. Be strong. Be courageous. I'm going to be with you just like I was with Moses. He's, he's telling them, you don't, you don't have to be afraid. You're going to do this. You're going to give the people their inheritance. You're going to, you are well able to do it if you will listen to me. So his is, when God gives the command, be strong, it wasn't simply just a command, like, be strong because I said so, you know, like we do with our kids. You know, it's like, it's like, you sit down because that's what I said, because I told you so. So that's you have to just obey. When God gives us a command to not be afraid or to be strong, he always tells us why. So he says, be of good courage because as I was with Moses, so will I be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. You are going to obtain the promise. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because I am with you. I am the Lord your God wherever you go. So he just continues to reiterate, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. And and that 
encouragement imparts strength to Joshua, and he was able to accomplish what Moses couldn't accomplish. So then we're going to go to Gideon, my friend Gideon. So Gideon, um, this is in Judges chapter 6. So in the time of the Judges, Israel was being oppressed by the Midianites, and they lived in constant fear. So God saw a leader in the person of Gideon. So if you look in um, chapter 6, verse 11, on one day, the angel of God came and sat under the oak of, of Ophrah that belonged to Joash, whose son, was, whose son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress out of the sight of the Midianites. So just that picture of you don't thresh wheat in a wine press. <laughs> he was hiding out. So the times were so bad that even processing the wheat, he had to be quiet and not do it because if Midians found them threshing the wheat, he, they would take their food. You know, that's they were hiding from that. So here he is trying to just get his little bit of food. And the angel of God appeared to him and said, God is with you, mighty warrior. <laughs> so Gideon was like, what? Me? <laughs> he replied, with me, Master, if God is with us, why is all this happening to us? Where are all the miracle wonders our parents and grandparents told us about, telling us, didn't God deliver us from Egypt? The fact is, God has done nothing with us. He has nothing to do with us, and he has turned us over to Midian. But God faced him directly. So this is God himself facing Gideon and said, go in this strength that is yours. Save Israel from Midian. Haven't I just told you? Haven't I just sent you? So God, Gideon said to him, me, master, how how, and with what could I ever save Israel? Look at me. My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the runt of the litter. And God said to him, I'll be with you. Believe me, and you'll defeat Gideon, Midian as one man. So Gideon said, if you're serious about this, do me a favor. Give me a sign to back up what you're saying. And don't leave until I come back to bring you a gift. And he said, I'll wait until you come back. So God sat there and he waited for, for Gideon. So Gideon went and he went and got an offering to present before the Lord. And um, the angel of God received it. You know, it was it was burnt up by fire. And then so when when the offering was received, in verse 22, Gideon said, oh, master, God, I have seen the angel of God face to face. So now he's freaking out because he was seeing God. And uh, God had been sitting there talking to him, but all of a sudden he's scared about it. And God reassured him, easy now, don't panic, you won't die. <laughs> so I think the whole thing about us seeing God, that's more our our weakness and our frailty is afraid of God. God is never saying, you can't look at me and live. He's, he's saying, come close to me. He's always wants to be close to us. So then Gideon built an altar there to the Lord, and he named that altar God's peace. And it's still called that to this day. So God's assurance and his encouragement always establishes peace in our soul. And so, um, and then it goes on to say in verses 25 and 26, that God came to Gideon and said, you need to tear down your dad's altars. So this is what Michelle was talking about, idolatry. Um, the dad had an altar to Baal and the city was in favor of it. And so God said, go tear it down and sacrifice there, built me an altar instead. So he did it. 
but he did it at nighttime. So in verse 27, Gideon selected 10 men from his servants and did exactly what God had told him. But because of his family and the people in the neighborhood, he was afraid to do it openly. So he did it by night. So let's just take a look at this. Gideon felt insignificant of the most insignificant family. So he was, he felt the lowest of the low, but God spoke to him as a mighty man of valor. He, he saw, God sees something different in us than we see in ourselves. Gideon believed that God had abandoned his people, but God reassured him that they were never forsaken and he promised to deliver. Gideon asked for a sign and performed you know, and God performed the sign for, for Gideon. So he asked for the sign. Gideon brought the, the offering and God performed the burnt offering and consumed the sacrifice. So God continues to communicate with God this way. He's always looking for a sign to confirm that he's hearing correctly. Um, and he, God doesn't seem to be upset or annoyed by Gideon's request. He's very compliant with whatever he's asking. I feel like God will do whatever he needs to do with you to embolden your faith. He's not weary of us needing one more confirmation. I mean, at some point he's going to let you know, how many times do I need to say this? (laughs) I'm really with you, you know. Um, But the more, the more he shows himself, you know, it's, he's always encouraging us. He wants us to step out. He wants us to believe him and he doesn't belittle us. So um, it reminds me of the definition of endurance about he remains, he carries behind, you know, like the father with the, with the son, walking and keeping pace with him. God is keeping pace with Gideon and letting him come at his own pace, but we're still going to get this done. So um, then it goes on um, in Judges 6, chapter um, verse 36. Uh, Gideon is encouraged, but he's still afraid because of the backlash he got from tearing down his dad's altar. And um, so he came back to God and asked for more encouragement. So in verse 36, Gideon said to God, If this is right, if you are using me to save Israel, as you have said, then look, I'm placing a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If the dew is on the fleece only and the floor is dry, then I will know that you're sending me. And that's what happened. He got up early the next morning. He wrung out the fleece enough to fill a bowl of water. So it was completely full. And then Gideon said to God, Don't be impatient with me, but let's try this again. We're going to try another time with the fleece, but this time let the fleece be dry, but the ground be wet. And God made it happen that very night. Only the fleece was dry while the ground was wet with dew. So, and that's an even more amazing thing. You know, if if you have wool that's sitting on a wet ground and it itself was able to remain dry in the midst of that, it's a greater miracle. And from this encounter, Gideon knew that God was calling him to deliver Israel. Amen. So um, we'll do one more. Abraham is in, um, you know, we know the story of Abraham. God called Abram out of his father's house to follow him. And he does that with all of us. And he was 75 years old. God promised him that through your families, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Abram obeys God and brings his nephew Lot with him. So if you look in um, Genesis 13, Lot and Abram had separated and God comes to reassure Abram. In verse 14, the Lord said to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, lift up your eyes and look from the place you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, 
For all the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. And I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if anyone can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. Arise and walk the length and breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and settled by the oaks of Marm, Mamre, by the oaks. <laughs> he settled by the oaks, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. So God encourages Abraham's faith by giving him a point of contact. So he said, so he went back to him and encouraged him, and he said, look at the dust on the ground. Every time you see the dust, you'll remember the promise. And so, and he told him to walk out the territory, map it out, so that way you can see everything that I'm giving to you. Later, when Lot um, where Abram had to rescue Lot from Sodom, and he had an encounter with Melchizedek. Then God came to him again in Genesis 15. So in um, Genesis 15, verse 1, he said, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, I am your shield, your your reward shall be very great. And, the, and Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me, for I continue childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, or Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be your heir, will be my heir. So to me, it looks like when Abram brought Lot with him out of his father's house, he was kind of the backup plan, you know. So Lot was the heir apparent. To me, the way I'm seeing it as his nephew, he doesn't have his own children. Lot is going to receive from from Abram. And so um, now that Lot is no longer with them, then he said, well, I still don't have a child. I'm going to have to leave my things to my servant, Eliezer. Um, and so he was just getting confused and concerned about how this is all going to work. And so the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man will not be your heir. For your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look to the heavens and number the stars if you are able to number them. He said, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and it was counted to him for righteousness. So here in in chapter 12 or chapter 13, God said, look at the dust of the ground and, and that's your seed. Now he's telling him, now look at the sky. All the stars, that's your seed. So if you're looking up or looking down, you're going to see reminders. You're going to get encouragement. God is constantly bringing us encouragement. And he, at that time, also cut his covenant with him. And he said, how will I know? And he cut a covenant with him. And and that's the great covenant that we always talk about. So then later in his life, after he had received the promise, and God called him, and in Genesis 22, God came to him and asked him to offer his son at Moriah. And so it would look like, okay, well, if we kill Isaac, what are we going to do about the promise? Um, but Abraham took his son and went up the mountain. It was not an uncommon request for the pagan gods to do, you know, to do that. So he really didn't balk at it. And I think it's in Hebrews where he said he received him in a vision. So he he was expecting that if God tells me to kill Isaac, God's going to raise him up. He's going to, and so faith for resurrection came at that point point but god did not let him go through with killing isaac um and the angel of the lord he interrupted him and he said um 
by myself, and this is uh, in verse 15, he's, or 16, he says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and surely multiply your offspring as the stars in heaven and the sand on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of their enemies, and in your offspring all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. So everywhere that Abraham looks, God, he is encouraged by God. He, the, it's the dust of the ground. It's the sand of the sea. It's the stars in the sky. God always surrounds us with encouragement everywhere we go. So I'm going to, um, so that's the God that we serve. And so, um, once we receive his encouragement, we're able to encourage ourselves. So there's, you know, we, we know the verse about David encouraging himself and the Lord. And he brings encouragement that we can continue to feed on and encourage ourselves to sustain us on our journey. Um, when, um, when Dave ministered on faith confession, what are your words saying to feed yourself? You can you can take the words from God and you can speak them and it's actually feeding your feeding you and causing you to be able to endure and encourage yourself. You are the preacher that you listen to most. Okay, so your own voice is the most convincing voice and the most influential voice in your mind. So what sermon are you preaching to yourself? So um, in Psalm 103 verse five um, is talking about. Our benefit package, and it says that God satisfies our mouth with good things so that our youth is renewed like the eagles. So God gives your mouth encouragement when you need to satisfy yourself. And as you speak to yourself, you are refreshed. You are renewed like the eagles. Amen. In Ephesians chapter 5, um, verse 19, Paul says, Speaking to yourself in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So when we think about what God has done for us and how he has been faithful and has been our aid, our thanksgiving becomes an encouragement to our soul as well. In um, Psalm 37, um, verses 3 and 4, the word says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So you can encourage yourself, be comforted, be refreshed by feeding on his faithfulness. Rehearse your own testimonies to yourself. Mutter what God's word is to you. And I found this really interesting. That's that's exactly what Jesus did on the cross. So while he was on the cross in um, Matthew 27, verse 46, um, so he's at the cross, and he had been there for quite a while. And in the ninth hour, hour, Jesus cried, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So he wasn't declaring that he was forsaken. He was encouraging himself with Psalm 22. So if you read the entire psalm, this is, Psalm 22, this is how, because a lot of the people, there's an audience, an oral tradition there. Everybody um, knew the word by song, you know. So if he said the first line of a song, you know, my baloney has a first name. And, you know, everybody knows the rest of the song. And so when he said the first line of the song, everybody knew what song he was referring to and was singing it along with him in his head. And when they read it through, we're going to read some of it right now. It says, my God, my God, um, Psalm 22, starting in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, 
Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you, and they trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. And jumping down to verse 9, but you... But you are he who took me out of the womb, and you made me trust while on my mother's breast. And I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one, none to help. And then it goes on, if you if you read it, talks about um, all my bones are out of joint, my heart is like wax, they're gambling for my clothes. I mean, it goes into into detail about the crucifixion right here. And it says um, in verse 21, it's after all of this, he says, but you have answered me. In 22, it says, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you for you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. So he's telling the people around him, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All the descendants of Jacob glorify him and fear him. All you hit the offspring of Israel for the Lord has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried, he heard him. So Jesus is saying right here, when I cried to the Lord, he heard me. I am not forsaken. He has not turned his face from me. It might look like it, but that's not what's happening right here. So I thought that was just really encouraging that this is something that Jesus did to himself to encourage himself at the most excruciating moment of pain. He was encouraging himself in the word of God. And so um, so we can encourage ourselves when we find ourselves in pain. There's always a place, there's always another verse to grab. is something to feed us and encourage us and, and God's promise to us. And then we have an, um, an opportunity and a privilege to encourage one another as well. So we can, we can encourage ourselves and then we can pour out from our encouragement to encourage one another. Um, I was listening to a message by Chris Dalton out in um, California, and he was talking about an experience that he had um, where he wasn't feeling real great about himself, and he had a photo shoot scheduled or something like that. He was like, uh, I feel ugly. I feel fat. I don't want to think of it. And everybody was just encouraging him, encouraging him. And And he said by the time the photo shoot was over, he was like, I feel real good about myself. You know, it just brightened him up. And he said, there's something about being in the presence of someone who thinks you're beautiful that reforms the way you think about yourself. So we can see mush mush. (laughs) Um, We can encourage ourselves and be among people who really, you know, uh, believe in us and see value in us. And we're able to find value in ourselves because we can see ourselves through their eyes. Um, we need to be able to recognize, we need people who can res- recognize the treasure of God that he put inside of us and deal with us according to Christ and not according to our failings. Amen. And Philemon, um, there's only one chapter, so starting in verse 4, it's, um, Paul is saying, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus Christ and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for Christ's sake. For I have derived much joy and comfort 
from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Philemon had a way of sharing his faith with the people around him in such a way that they were refreshed by him. We have a responsibility to encourage each other and build each other up, and that's how we are our brother's keeper. You know, Cain and Abel, and he said, he said, am I my brother's keeper? Yeah, we're always our brother's keeper. That's our responsibility. We are one body. We feed each other. No man is an island. We can't isolate ourselves. So in um, Hebrews 3.13, it says, encourage one another daily as long as it's called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So when we encourage each other all the time so that people don't feel, um, they don't get shut down by condemnation, um, the deceitfulness that sin brings with it, um, we need to encourage each other as long as it's called today. If today is today, it's time to encourage somebody. Amen. First um, Thessalonians um, chapter 5, verses 9 through 11 For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we are awake or asleep might live for him. Therefore, encourage one another and build up one another, build one another up, just as you have been doing. So we are continuing to encourage each other and build one another up. In Ephesians 4.29, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for the building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. So our words need to benefit the people who are listening to us. And if it's something that is not going to bless them, and not not just bless them, but if it's not going to build them up and strengthen, edify them, then it's better to just not even say it. It's not worth your words, not worth your breath. Um, so remember last week we talked about um, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. I'll just go back over it. Um, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, so that's the hall of faith, um, saints, as let us hold, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so clings to us closely and run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sin, sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. So in this verse, again, we're all running a race. So, um, and we're looking to Jesus to be our strength and our endurance. So the author of Hebrews, he reminds us that we're in a race and we're not competing against one another. We're all in the same race together, reaching for the prize, right? So when we see our brothers and sisters running and they start to get weary, what do we do? In verse 12, it says, therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble needs and make straight paths for the feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. So when we see somebody getting tired, we're supposed to do what we can to strengthen them. We're supposed to do what we can to refresh them, you know, give them cold water, strengthen their hands and encourage them, get the debris out of the road, make the pathway straight. And so if they're kind of if they keep going and they're in a, um, if they're pushing themselves too hard, um, then what is dislocated may become lame, 
you know, that's what the word is saying. It says, oh, I'm sorry, let me flip it. What is lame may become dislocated. So if it's something that's just a little bit injured and you're still trying to run on that, you're going to hurt yourself more. But we want them to be healed, not coming in broken. Okay, so so what we do by our words, when we see our brothers and sisters running and getting weary, it's our responsibility to do what we can to strengthen them and make the pathway straight, remove any obstacles, and make it easier for them to run. This is a picture of encouragement. Amen. So we can't really talk about the ministry of encouragement without talking about um, Barnabas, my friend Barnabas. So um, Barnabas, we see him first in Acts 4, um, verse 36 through 37. And in verse 36, it says, Thus Joseph, who was called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So we're introduced to Joseph, and he's a Levite, but the apostles nicknamed him Son of Encouragement. And so, and that nickname stuck throughout the whole writing of the Gospels, you know, of the of the book of Acts. And so what kind of a person must he have been to earn a name Son of Encouragement? You know, that must have, he must have been such a, awesome guy to hang around you know and just you you come come out of it feeling better strengthened and to have a vision for going growing forward so the next time we see him in acts chapter 9 is right after Saul's conversion so Saul he came to the church um you know to the churches and they were scared of him Saul had preached Christ and then had to escape you know, because they wanted to kill him. Um, so from there, he escaped and came to Jerusalem. Um, and in verse 26, it says, when Saul had come to Jerusalem, um, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. So, you know, there's a part of it you could almost understand that, you, you know, there was no Facebook to change his status to Christian, you know, I mean, he was just, he just showed up and it's like, well, maybe this is a tactic to get in to kill people. And so they were, weren't letting him in, but Barnabas took him in verse 27 and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how Saul had seen the Lord on the road and he had spoken to him how, and how he preached boldly in Damascus in the name of Jesus. So Barnabas came and took up for for Saul, and he said, "No, wait a minute! I saw him preaching. I saw him. He, this he's one of us. You know, he bore witness with him that he's one of us. He can stay." And so he was with them in Jerusalem and coming in and going out. So so Jerusalem became a safe place for Saul because of Barnabas. So love believes the best, and Barnabas believed the best about Saul and spoke up for him. Barnabas took Saul under his wing, and we see in Acts 11, after Stephen's death, death, there was a move of God that happened in Antioch. It was starting in verse 22. The news came of these things, you know, about the move of God that was happening in Antioch, and and news traveled to Jerusalem. And they sent out Barnabas to go out as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad. And he encouraged them, them all, that with purpose of heart, they should continue with the Lord. So here is a, is a young church there. He's going there encouraging him. Verse 24 describes Barnabas. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. A great and a great many people were added to the Lord. So, and then we go on to verse 25. 
So all these things are happening as all these wonderful things. And Barnabas departed to, to Tarsus to seek Saul. So Saul had somehow gone back to Tarsus and Barnabas went to go get him and bring him to Antioch. When he had found him, he brought him back to Antioch. So it was that for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great deal of people. And the disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. So this is how this is all starting. And that's Barnabas at work. And then Barnabas was intentional about his encouragement to the church and to Saul. He wanted to make sure Saul was not left out. This is this is the picture of encouragement. And so the ministry of encouragement, the way that Barnabas was described, will um, the ministry of encouragement will mark you as a good person, full of the Holy Spirit and full of faith. This is what encouragement um, radiates. Okay. And then in verse um, twelve, uh, chapter twelve of uh, Acts. Um, of the book of Acts, chapter 12, starting in verse 25, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem where they had been, when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now this man became the author of the, of the gospel of Mark. So here they are in their ministry, and then they grabbed somebody else to train along the way. Now in the church, in, now in the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas is the first one listed, and it lists all the ones that, that were there, including Psalm. Verse 2, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I for which I have called them. And they, having fasted and prayed, laid hands on them and sent them on their way. So through his ministry, Barnabas undertook for the people and their callings. And without the ministry of Barnabas, we may not have had half the New Testament that we have. We may not have had the the writings of Paul or the Gospel of Mark if it hadn't been for Barnabas, this man of encouragement to step up and stir these others up. The ministry of encouragement is significant and it's a vital and it represents the, the heart of God in so many ways. So we're going to land on um, Hebrews 10. And um, I'm reading from the voice translation. And um, in verse 23 through 25, let us hold to the confession of our hope Never wavering, never wavering, since the one who promised it to us is faithful. Let us consider how to inspire each other to greater love and righteous deeds, not forgetting to gather as a community, as some have forgotten, but encouraging each other, especially as the day of his return approaches. Amen? Amen. So we're going to continue in the ministry of encouragement so that we're able to endure and endure and endure. Amen? Amen. Praise God. We thank you, Father, for this opportunity. Thank you for sharing your word to us. Father, we thank you for giving us opportunities to encourage people, Father, and to see the best in them, Lord God, to um, to recognize who you are in them and speak to that, Father God. We don't uh, recognize people according to their flesh and to their failings. We recognize people according to who they are in you. And we just thank you for that, letting us um, take uh, grave clothes off of people, um, that are bound by their old life, Lord God. We just thank you for the newness of life coming through them. And we're able to assist because of the words of encouragement that you give us, Lord God. And we bless you. We praise you. We commit this to your care in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we'll see you Sunday.